0: Glimmers of hope as rescue efforts in Syria and Turkey continue after horrific earthquakes this week. Plus, what's next for the CTS in downtown Windsor? And Canadians are very unhappy with the current government. Are you? And my feature guest, my friend Laura Kay from Julian's House joins me to talk about dealing with grief and how local families are coming together. This is episode 100 of the Arms Boomerlag Lag Project, and it starts right now. <laughs> rock and roll here we are on a tuesday night it is february the 7th believe it or not my name is arm Boom like happy to have you along for the show as always we are in triple digits for this live stream podcast what a wild two years it has been happy to have you along for the ride don't forget this show is all about you if you're joining us live we would love for you to join in the conversation we got lots of ground to cover tonight and uh, as always you can comment live in the stream on facebook linkedin or on twitter and uh would love to hear your feedback on some of the stories that we're going to be covering tonight on the Arms Boom and Lag Project. But first, if you're like me, you woke up over the last couple of days with your social media feeds just inundated with the horrific news of what was coming out of Syria and Turkey. And I'm sure that you have been glued to your social media devices uh, with updates on those massive earthquakes, horrific earthquakes that shook Syria and Turkey to their core. And rescues continue despite the devastation even though the death toll from those devastating earthquakes in those regions surpasses 7,000 as of this broadcast, which is absolutely incredible. But there are glimmers of hope, and I wanted to start off tonight's show talking and showing you a little bit about those particular glimmers of hope and why there is some reason to celebrate. They are finding signs of life in the rubble in Syria and Turkey, including some interesting uh, footage coming out over the last hour uh, here Uh, on the internet talking a little bit more about families getting pulled from uh, different areas still alive. There was some footage that had come out which was absolutely incredible of a Syrian family being pulled from the rubble just after 40 hours. Now take a look at this. (laughs) This is footage here of a family of four actually being pulled out of the rubble in Syria. A mother, a father, a son and a daughter, 40 hours under a collapsed building in Syria. You can see some of those rescue people being very excited and obviously cheering that the fact that this family was still alive despite what had happened over the last little bit absolutely incredible footage to see and if you saw some of the footage in terms of the buildings falling and the live news report that was happening I think during the second aftershock it was incredible to see because it was like you were watching something outside of a movie and despite all of this uh, there was even more good news although News that was very, very heartfelt it too. Carrie and I were talking a little bit about this before we went live, and how people were seeing this actually unfold. Um, this has happened over the I think believe the last couple of hours too, in terms of the rescue efforts that have been going on, people looking for people in the rubble in Turkey in Syria. But this is an interesting report here from Inside Edition, and they're talking a little bit about how they really tried to make things work for this particular family and they were able to rescue a newborn baby from the rubble itself take a look at this
1: surrounded by destruction a miracle it's a baby born in the ruins a boy his mother gave birth after the building she lived in collapsed she was killed but rescuers were able to save her miracle baby Here he is, moments later, alive. Victims are still being pulled from the rubble. This little girl's first words upon being pulled out alive, where is my mother? As a rescuer digs deeper, he can hear people screaming, but he can't get to them. And this heartbreaking photo shows a father holding the hand of his daughter, who was crushed to death as she slept. He can't save her, but he can't leave her side. Time is running out. The rescue efforts made more difficult by falling temperatures. 160 specialists in earthquake search and rescue from the U.S. are heading to Turkey to do what they can. They are going to put their lives on the line, make no doubt about it. They're bringing a team of dogs trained to locate people buried alive in rubble. We'll run a a single dog team, and if we get hits off of that team, we'll validate with a second dog team. So that allows us, instead of searching an area of an entire building, we can narrow our search down to a specific location. Fire set by the earthquake continue burning out of control. Truly hell on earth.
0: I can't even fathom. Um, it just broke my heart seeing the um, dad with his 15-year-old daughter uh, i mean what do you even do i i don't know it it it, it literally gave me goosebumps seeing some of that footage over the last couple of days and you know to have people those rescuers again who are doing what they can it's it's incredible it really is incredible Uh, a couple of comments rolling in here tammy saying it's extremely sad yeah um you know, especially for those kids that they're rescuing and they're looking for their parents. Like, how do you even begin to say, um, you know, these we can't find your mom. We can't find your dad. Holly saying on Facebook, such a horrific tragedy. Yeah. And it's it was something out of the movie. And and, 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 and I mean that with the utmost respect, like it, this reporter was doing a live hit during the show. And then that second quake happened and they're running from like I think they're in like some sort of town square and then you just see the buildings just fold over like a house of cards. It was insane. Joni on LinkedIn says, thank goodness these families, God bless them all. Heartbreaking. Um, My son, Liam, his godmother is Syrian, uh Alma. And I've spoken about her a couple of times on the show. I know that her family has, they have immigrated from Syria to Canada here in 2013. Uh, We were talking to Alma. My wife was talking to Alma, uh, over the last couple of days. I know that they're desperately trying because they do have family over in Syria still trying to find, and this is kind of the world we live in now, these legitimate charities or nonprofits that are taking funds because they're going to need the help. I mean, you saw the footage there, uh, Holly commenting on Facebook too, saying, yeah, we're watching those two buildings crumble was absolutely surreal. I mean, you just Google it and you'll, you'll see the footage, but, uh, Going back to making donations, I know, you know, Red Cross is usually a safe bet. You want to make sure that your money is going to the people who need it or your support is going to the people who need it. But I know that they're having a really hard time uh, getting any kind of money over to Syria and Turkey um, because of the relief efforts that are going to continue being ongoing. And that day when all those earthquakes were happening in that region, we had an earthquake in Buffalo, Niagara Falls area. It was like a 38 Um I believe that they registered some earthquakes in Hawaii that day too. I mean, nothing like they saw in Turkey and, and, and Syria, but still, uh, interesting stuff just to see the world. I mean, when you really think about the power of mother nature for earth earthquakes, like what do you, like if there's an earthquake and here in Amherst, it was like 2018. There was an earthquake. Remember that was like a big, that was huge. Um, not the earthquake, but it was like big story from around here. Um, And you talk about those things that had happened uh, across the world, but they talk about how utterly at mercy we are against Mother Nature and really earthquakes. If something happens, like the ground is shaking and like, what do you even do? So it'll be very telling to see how relief efforts go. I know Japan, there was some great footage of uh, the Japanese sending over a number of relief uh, workers uh, to Turkey and Syria And uh, that's going to be a long haul for those poor folks in both countries. Joni on uh, LinkedIn says, sending prayers to Carrie's family and her uh, friends. Yeah, I I, I haven't had a chance to talk to Liam's godmother yet personally. I think we're going to be seeing her in a couple of weeks at Liam's blood drive at Canadian blood services. But uh, I know that they are trying to get some some money and, and some things that are needed over to Syria to those folks who are obviously impacted by this. Priscilla says, extremely devastating. So just continue to watch it on social media. It continues to unfold. I mean, you can get really sucked into some of the devastation and and the loss that's there too. But wanted to share those stories as we opened up the show here on episode 100 and talk a little bit more about those glimmers of hope that hopefully can put you into a better mindset as you continue to see that footage come out of those affected countries. And we're hoping that there is that continued support from the international community as well for those folks who are continuing to deal with what's coming up and the long road ahead because all that has got to get rebuilt and it will be a long one for those folks affected. Moving along here on the show tonight, uh, this is something that I really wanted to dive into and I wanted to be honest with you. I want people to chime in. I want people to give me their opinions on this. Honestly, what should the government be focusing on? Since we launched this show, we have stayed very positive with different topics. We've done community interviews. We've done all sorts of outreach. We continue to do those things too. We've also, since we've revamped the format and have had this more of a back and forth with our audience, still bring on guests. We focused on some of the bigger news stories of the past couple of weeks. And one story that will not go away. And I know your wallet's feeling it. Your purse is feeling it. We're feeling it here in my family is inflation and the cost of living. It's out of control. I don't think there's anybody that debates that. But there was some interesting data that had come out over the last week, week and a half uh, half from a company called Abacus Data. Now, they conducted a nationally representative survey of 1,500 Canadian adults. And in this survey, they asked all sorts of questions about the political landscape that they actually track as part of their national survey. So what did they find in this particular survey? Well, the mood continues to worsen for Canadians. Take a look at this. Conservatives open up an eight-point lead over the Liberals at 70% and more of Canadians don't think that the Liberal government is focused enough on the cost of living, healthcare, or housing. Fewer Canadians think the country is headed in the right direction. Overall, in terms of where we stand in the world. Now, according to this survey, they asked people, Where do you think Canada is? How do you think we're doing? Are we headed in the right direction? 30% of people said, Yeah, we're in the right direction. 55% of people said, We're on the wrong track. Now, when they asked that same question, Where do you think the world is headed? 18% said they think they're in the right direction very telling 64 percent say globally we're on the wrong track and then when it comes to our neighbors to the south the united states of america 18 percent say right direction 62 percent saying the wrong track so i wanted to talk to you tonight about some of these statistics coming out of the abacus poll again 1500 canadian adults saying what they think about the general direction of this country Back to some of our social media feeds. Joni says here, hey, we got to focus on healthcare and ODSP, living below the poverty line. Those are some big, big issues. And Joni, I think that echoes what people are saying here. Take a look at the latest of this particular survey from Abacus Data again. They're saying 72% are saying that the government. The federal government, the liberal government should be focusing, and they're not focusing enough on the rising cost of living. 72%. 4% are saying, yeah, you're focusing too much. But you talk to anybody. I think when when I go grocery shopping, I talk to neighbors in our neighborhood. I talk to people I know. We were talking about gas bills the other day and uh, just the astronomical amount of money that we're spending on gas and even heating our homes. They're saying their government is not doing enough at 72%. Cost of housing coming in at number two for Canadians, saying government should be paying more attention to that particular issue and doing something about it, 70%. Problems with the healthcare system, 66%. 52% of people saying government not doing enough about growing the economy. A few things here. Climate change looks like it's almost even between doing enough And not doing enough, between 31% and 34%. Again, 1,500 Canadians polled on this too. And then when it comes to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, 46% of Canadians are saying we are doing as much as we should be. Well, 17% are saying we are not doing enough. So it begs the question again, when you take a look at where priorities lie. And a few episodes, I actually said this on the show, I thought, we should be taking a look at getting the most smartest people in the economic realm right across our country. Everybody, all these people who are, are multiple PhDs to the table, sit them down and say, you guys got to figure something out here. Because I don't know about you, but I feel like certainly the working class is really taking the brunt of inflation and taking the brunt of higher costs like we try to mitigate our grocery bill and we've talked about this on the show again and it just gets to the point where now it's like 350 400 450 500 bucks for a grocery run for a family of 4 And some of the things, I mean, shrinkflation is a thing, the the, the items that we have in the cart are are shrinking in size, but the cost is going up too. But is the federal government, is the liberal government doing enough on this? Now, generally speaking, you know, they talked about, here's a better in-depth graphic on where things are headed globally. And you can see here over time, it's hard to make out here, but 2021 versus 2023 which to me doesn't seem that long ago, but it was two years ago. I mean, we had a really decent outlook, just shy of 50% of Canadians saying, hey, you know what, this isn't that bad for Canada. About 47% in about June of 2021. Now we're down to about 30% here. So what do you think the government should be focusing on? I I mean, number one for me, it's got to be the cost of living. It has to be getting the inflation crisis under control. Um, You know, you're bringing people in, you're bringing different people into the country. Great. Immigration is a good thing, in my opinion. But I think we need to press on those glaring issues like housing and, and health care is another big one. But getting people to have an affordable life and uh, kind of restart the economy is always going to be crucial for people who are living really paycheck to paycheck. So satisfaction with the federal government is largely unchanged if they look at it, generally speaking, 34% approve, 49% disapprove of the performance of the federal government. And it really boils down to the public perception again of the liberal government's focus. In this particular survey from uh, Abacus Data, they talk about that the liberal government focused too much on other issues as opposed to the top three, which again is the inflation aspect, the housing aspect, and the healthcare aspect. The rising cost of living being the number one thing Canadian public, according to this survey, wants the government to tackle head on. So will they or won't they? I hope they will. I know that there's been some talk from uh, a federal level about healthcare across the board. Um, So hopefully that gets addressed. The housing crisis um, and affordability crisis, that is going to be something that's going to be on the minds of a lot of folks as we head into the spring and summer and fall. But uh, I think bold solutions are going to be needed over the next little bit. Joni continues to chime in. uh, Canada is the highest country in the world for medical assistance and dying because nobody in disability can afford to live. Uh, People with disabilities are struggling, living 40% below the poverty line. PSWs are dying because they can't afford to eat arms. Which you would think in our country of Canada, that would not be an issue, but it is. Holly says, inflation, healthcare, huge issues. Having been involved in strike action against the provincial government, I also know that they just don't care. It's like fighting a losing battle. Something's got to give, right? It's like you squeeze an orange for all the juice it's worth. At some point, there's no more juice left to give. So something has to be done. And you need people to do these jobs. You need people to... To, you know from the housing crisis and the affordability issues like you got to house these people we're going to be bringing 50 when well, 500 000 people every year into canada got to house them somewhere those people got to eat they got to drive something they got to work jobs are we ready you know we've talked about that a little bit from a real estate lens here on the show about you know preparing this region is specifically windsor essex for what's to come down the pipe and you know there is some fantastic footage some of my uh my friends who fly drones here professionally here in Windsor-Essex have been taking some amazing footage of the battery plant. And my God, they're, they're rocking and rolling there. That thing's going to be operational before you know it. Are we ready? According to the survey, people not necessarily happy with the government at large.
2: So, Julian,
0: Continue to talk here on the show um, about a couple of different things. Um, From inflation and what the government is doing to some really sad news and uh, interesting news coming out of downtown Windsor as well. This has been something that has been on the radar for a lot of folks. Um, SafePoint, the upcoming consumption and treatment services site, CTS site at 101 Wyandotte Street East in downtown Windsor, despite a four year process that saw more than 3000 consultations with. Residents, business owners, uh, and others, people who would use this, including drug addicts, local health unit, now agrees with critics that a better downtown location should be found for Windsor's first harm reduction clinic. Now, War 3 counselor uh, Ronaldo Agostino brought this up saying, hey, hang on, pump the brakes on this. Uh, we need to find another location for it. It's its literally, and I'm going to show you some drone footage of if you're not familiar where they're, they proposed to put this. Now they're gonna be looking for another site. I'll show you some drone footage in the next couple of minutes here, but uh, a lot of people were very upset because of what they were proposing about putting the brakes on this because they need this service now. And uh, we wanna take you to that rally that was in front of City Hall and some of the folks who were involved and some of this footage from the Windsor Star. Take a look.
1: 438 people have died since 2018. If I look around this crowd here, that's about four times the size of this crowd. Dead on the ground. Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers. This is an absolute atrocity that there is health care service that can be available to somebody and it has been blocked.
0: You know, it's all coming down to sort of this compromise now for agreeing to hunt for a different location. Uh, and this comes with a commitment on an anticipated opening next month of that site that some of those organizers of the rally were talking about. And that site, again, if you're not familiar, here's some aerial footage for you in downtown Windsor from uh, Windsor Aerial Drone Photography taking for the show uh, on the Arms Lake Project. It is that brown building there at 101 Wyandotte, right across from McDonald's, right beside the new dub uh, the KFC so right at the foot of the tunnel there there's some other restaurants that are in that building adjacent to that I believe there is a, a hair salon further down the road too and uh, War 3 councilor again Ronaldo Augustino saying hey wait a second you know we, we should we should look for another place for this so this motion to begin a search for a more, a more permanent location that was approved a couple Fridays ago at a special board of Health meeting that was held online. Uh, it's probably one of the more important conversations they've ever had um, in terms of finding a new search for a new permanent home, one that will result in saving a lot of lives, according to some of the members of the health unit. Uh, Ronaldo Augustino saying, you know, he would even like to see it maybe closer to the downtown mission. Um, there was, I believe one or two counselors saying that they were not in favor of having a harm reduction site in downtown Windsor. I think it was Mark McKenzie saying that several other counselors were uh, including Fabio Costante saying, yeah, we got to get this thing opened. It's going to save lives for folks. Um, so what they have been basically say, uh, saying with this is that this will open up next month, but then they are going to be looking for a permanent home. And I believe from offsetting the cost, because they've dumped in some money into this location here at 101 Windot Street, Um, they're going to offset some costs as when they find their permanent home through fundraising and some grants and uh, uh, different fundraising means. We, I don't know anybody personally that has been affected. Like I've had people in my life who have been users. Um, I don't presume to know what would work for them, right? I can tell you, you know, when you're doing any kind of decision like this, that's going to affect not only the community, it's going to affect families, it's going to affect people who, who are addicts, who want a safe place to, to use. This place would be staffed with medical professionals as well. Um, you want to take a look at some of the data that is across the board because this isn't this is something new for Windsor. It's very new for Windsor. Uh, it will save lives for folks, but you take a look at what. Has been done in other cities and you use that as a sort of a barometer right because that data is there from other cities um, not every city as you know is not the same city but other cities have done similar locations and, and concepts like this like vancouver and uh, out on the west coast as well take a look at some of their findings and some of their feedback and then you know have your policies and your decisions based on that data but then also use an empathetic approach and maybe bring a lot of those families who've been affected, um, some of the people who have uh, stopped being users, uh, were able to kick the habit and are maybe lending support to folks who are struggling with addiction. Bring them to the table and then find some sort of equitable situation so we're not sort of delaying this thing as it continues to go. Um it's a very contentious project. You know, a lot of people, and I think that was uh, Ward 3 counselors, uh, Ronaldo Agostino's issue is that, you know, you're coming out of the tunnel. As soon as you come out of the tunnel, you see this. Again, it's that one location here. You can see McDonald's sort of on the corner, and then you've got the hotel down the road. Again, thanks to my friend Mike Chase at uh, Windsor Aerial Drone Photography, sort of our high in the sky cameraman for the show giving people a better idea of where this is located. Jim on Facebook says, uh, with all the talk about getting people back going downtown, why do they want this site down there? Uh, Jim, that's one of the things I think Ronaldo was bringing to the forefront with the discussion on this was that, you know, we they want to bring this downtown because they see that there's a need for it in that area and certainly right across Windsor Essex I know a lot of people have been talking about finally getting something like this I mean we used to cover stories about this at the CBC for quite some time when I was working there at least three four years ago Um, is it in the right location again that's that brown building right there on the corner I don't know Um, I mean you talk to some of the business owners in that area they may say no you talk to families who have lost people because of addiction when they feel like something like this could save their loved one's life, they're going to say yes. Uh, Counselor Augustino's uh, idea, and one of them was, again, putting it near the downtown mission, which is on Victoria. Um, It'll be interesting to see where they go with this. But I think that's part of the bigger issue, the bigger problem outside of putting this somewhere where the need is, because I think there's certainly a need in the community for It's just getting everybody to the table to find something Uh, That will continue to benefit. So, the local health unit has invested over $775,000 to date to get the Safe Point Consumption Services location ready to go. Uh, The entrance is actually off a parking lot that's right next to the Detroit Windsor Tunnel. So, that's I'm assuming that's a parking lot that you saw in that footage that's right beside the new KFC. That total, though, of $775,000 does not include the signed lease for the property through 2025. So completing some of those renovations is a requirement before the federal government steps in, gives approval to the harm reduction facility, both that one that we showed you here in the footage and the new one to come to. So basically part of last Friday's motion, uh, the current selected location is going to remain open operational next month until services can be transferred uninterrupted to a new facility. Holly on Facebook, joining the conversation, she goes, you know what? The site arms is going to be successful. It's accessible to those who are going to use the service. Downtown seems to be a good idea. I I agree. I think, again, when you take a look at some of the data that's there and you look at a bigger city, a bigger fish like Vancouver, take a look at what they've done there. And they've done for many years. Can you translate that and morph it into what Windsor and families here need locally in Windsor and Essex County? I think you can. I think the issue is with uh, obviously Councillor Augustino is, is getting it somewhere that maybe might be more accessible. Maybe that's not as soon as you get out of the tunnel, but they need to open something soon. As you heard from that uh, organizer in the clip that we played from the Windsor star, um, quite a lot of folks have been passing have passed because of overdosing and having something like this would be a benefit obviously to people struggling with addiction so they will have more on this as we continue um, over the next couple of weeks because march will be here before you know it so hopefully uh, the hunt will be on for another location in downtown windsor a permanent one for that site so people can get that access to the service that they need One more story before we get to our featured interview this evening. And we check in with our friends at the Julian house. I wanted to talk about this because uh, this obviously will have a lot of people thinking, okay, where am I going to get my news? And we've talked about the proliferation of news here on the program about how you get your news, how you absorb your news. Well, Windsor's newspaper printing plant, Windsor Stars printing plant, which is just off of the EC Row Expressway. Uh, You know, this big white building, here it is. It is going to close. And and I remember when this thing went up, like in the early 90s. It's going to close in March next month. A move that's going to mean a loss of about 22 full-time and 55 part-time jobs. Post Media made the announcement that the Starway Avenue plant will print its final paper on March 3rd. Now, Postmedia Network's vice president of communications says the company intends to move the work from this plant that we're showing here, you here, to uh, a London production facility as of March 3rd. Windsor Star, it's actually going to be printed in the GTA, while the flyer inserts are going to be done in London, according to Unifor representatives. news of this closure follows another announcement a few weeks ago to post media employees about layoffs to at least 11 percent of editorial staff and cuts to other departments at newspapers right across canada including the windsor star now the star has had roots here in the region for about 135 years it is a massive loss for workers and families folks who read the paper the building will be listed for sale sad news when you think about the newspaper switching gears. Do you still read the newspaper? When this story came out, um, my grandma, bless her heart, Dolores, here in Amherstburg, she's devastated. Devastated. How am I going to get my news? i said, do you still get it, Ma? It's just not going to be printed here locally. So Rivertown Times, Amersburg does a good job too. Check them out. Local, local, local. But when you talk about the printing plant and where you get your news nowadays, how do you absorb it? For me, wake up, check my phone, go on Twitter, go on Reddit. Jim says on Facebook, I personally, I thought the plant was closed already. I think they actually when they actually had the Windsor Star on the side, it was like the old mid-90s logo that came down and they didn't replace it again. Mike Chase says sad but a sign of the times with print media. Um Are we covering enough local? I know, you know, the, the battle for advertising dollars and everything is so so drawn out. I mean, you have digital Digital influencers and digital people who are, are commanding some of those ad dollars that would go to traditional media nowadays, even radio and television. Hence this show. But how do you get your news? It sucks for the uh people who were longtime employees. You never see want to see local people lose their jobs. Absolutely. Um, you know, but at the same token, um, there was a time, like Mike says here, every household. Had the star delivered. I remember those times. I remember, you know, which logo I'm talking about. Not that when they did the whole revamp thing in the early 2000s, the blue logo, I think they still have now. Mike says, uh, today on my street, I don't think anybody gets the paper anymore. Yeah. Marianne says the winter star is an icon for the city and surrounding areas. It's sad, but a sign of the times, no more ads for them. Bob says, yeah, we need more local news. I could not agree more. I, I will say here and now on the show. That is one of the major reasons I decided to get out of outside of my son's health, which was obviously reason number one. But getting out of the news because I didn't feel like a lot of the local news stuff was being covered. I really struggled from somebody from Toronto telling me what was quote-unquote newsworthy for Windsor-Essex when I could get that same story from somebody filing that report in Toronto. Um, And then they wonder why the advertising dollars aren't coming in. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to one particular website that I think does a phenomenal job of covering local is Windsorite.ca. I find that Windsorite.ca does a phenomenal job of making sure that local stories are covered. Community stories are covered. Local events and festivals are covered. And uh, I think they're doing a great job of keeping the pulse on what really makes this area tick. I go on Windsorite all the time. I'm going to give a shout out here on the show to my friends over at the Rivertown Times here in Amherstburg. I think they're doing a hell of a job giving some great local content. Ron, the editor-in-chief at the Rivertown Times, that guy deserves some sort of award or at least a hefty raise because he's... He's doing the paper, most of it himself. I see him at like every event here in Amherstburg. He's there covering it himself. He just loves what he does. And he got an award, I think, last year from the Amherstburg Chamber, too, Community Outreach Award, which is well-deserved. Joni says, miss local news and stories. Yeah, I do, too. I think that there's a mandate, and you're seeing it on radio and television, where they're going to do more regional stuff. You know, here's your news for Southwestern Ontario. Yeah. Okay. Do I care what's going on in London? Maybe. Chatham. Yeah, sure. We go to Chatham every once in a while. I want Windsor. Tell me what's happening in Windsor. Give me the people making the news in Windsor. Give me some original stories because then I think, you got, you got all these people from the news departments, right? And they go with their recorders and, and I'm going to go on a rant here on the show and they're going to stick their, their thing in the recorder and they're going to go do a news scrum and you're going to hear the same people doing the the, the talk and, and the same talking heads. Um, I almost like want to, I want to hear those unique original stories from Windsor and Essex County. They're there. I still get people who message me on a daily basis on social media about all sorts of news leads. And some of them are hard news. I never like to uh, cover hard news myself. I've never been a hard news guy. I like to do like the community stuff, stuff that really resonates with me. Um, I still get those tips on different things that are happening here locally in the community, but I don't think that stuff's being covered. Correct me if I'm wrong. Marianne says, yes. Jim says, we need more local news. Since I was way younger, there was nothing covered on the weekends. No, all you heard, what is happening, and too late. Yeah, there's that, right? It's like they're behind in this age of social media, but then the issue is, well, then what do we cover if everyone's getting their stuff? Well, then that's where that OJ comes in, the original journalism. And it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, accountability journalism, which does take time, and it does take resources, and you would hope that there's a payoff. But you can also find those unique stories and those unique voices. Uh, They're here in Windsor-Essex. So yeah, the Windsor Star printing plant. Sad to see those folks lose their gigs. Um, That'll be closing in March with printing headed out of the area. You know, one of the things I love about this show, though, is like, you know, if I had to run all the stories I was covering today, I'd probably have to go through a producer and I would probably have to go through an executive director or a news director. God bless him. But guarantee you half of them haven't been born and raised here. Right? Oh, we should cover this. This will get them. And then crickets. They do the story and crickets. And I'm not saying don't cover it, but do you put all those resources behind it. So I love podcasting and live streaming. You're in charge. It's up to you to do the gig. So, but advertising dollars are hard to carve out because I think Advertisers and businesses want—they don't want you to say, "Okay, well, here's your advertising rate. You choose from A, B, and C, and let us know." They want more personalized attention. They want campaigns that are curtailed to their specific, specific product. Uh, specific product. Um, you see that a lot with, um, you know, certainly with podcasts—not this podcast, but some podcasts and some other uh, online influencers—and they do videos. They have sponsors, and they curtail their message to the sponsor and. I think when you're charging a certain amount for print media or whatever it is, uh, or, or, or television or traditional legacy media, those costs versus seeing an ROI on your social media footprint, well, you can't compare the two. You know, you see direct results in leads generated from, from digital campaigns versus here's a 30-second ad. Anyways, sign of the times. People saying that it is a big issue here in the Windsor-Essex area. More local news for folks here in the region. Uh, Finally here on the show, our featured interview tonight is one that I'm really excited to bring to you. I had a chance to sit down with a woman that I've worked with through multiple charities and organizations over the last 20 years. I got to know her at the Canadian Cancer Society. Actually, she was my first event with the AM 818 back in 2005. I got to host the Relay for Life at Villanova High School. How's that for local news? Uh, and I fell in love with attending events and all the community spirit that Windsor Essex has uh, ever since that event. And that's where I met her. Uh, she's moved on from the Canadian Cancer Society. Uh, she did a stint in healthcare, as many of us did, just before the pandemic hit. She moved out of healthcare and now she is the executive director of Julian's House. And Julian's House is a grassroots charity that deals with the topic of bereavement and grief here in Windsor-Essex, parents, siblings, spouses who have lost uh, somebody that they love and how you conquer grief and utilize it in your everyday interaction as you honor the person and as you continue to deal with what you have to deal with. So I sat down with Laura Kay and we talked a little bit about Julian's House and dealing with grief in Windsor-Essex County.
2: Julian Gadet um, went to Lassore High School and he was eighteen. He was graduating this year, and he had uh, an injury off of an automobile. So it was an automobile accident that happened, um, brain injury resulting in his death. And his parents were devastated. His sister was devastated, and they didn't know, what to do. So they ended up in programs at Canadian Mental Health Association because it was so traumatic for them. And they met Colleen Campo and Christine McMillan who were counselors at Canadian Mental Health at the time. And they su- suggested that they try the coping center in Cambridge, Ontario. So the cadets went to the coping center in Cambridge, Ontario and, and came back to Windsor with you know, just wow! The programs and services that they're offering there are incredible, and this whole idea of companionship through grief was amazing to them. And they came back and said, like, why don't we have these programs in Windsor and Essex County? And Colleen Compo and Christine said, well, it's funny that you should say this uh, to Mr. and Mrs. Gaudette, um, because we've been thinking about opening something similar to the Coping Center in Windsor and Essex County for eons or a long time. I'm not quite sure how long, but you get the point. We got these like-minded people thinking the exact same things and they went, why not start something? And the cadets being as brave and powerful, as strong as they are getting through their own journey, recognized that other people were gonna come after them. And they didn't want people to not have programs and services um, that they didn't have or you know that they could help with. So they started Julian's house. And um, one day um, Jermaine Gadet was having a, a nap, sleeping, or whatever, and woke up and went, We should donate the house and start the charity and get it really going and people can come to the house. So they ended up donating their, you know, retirement income home. Um, wow. that they were renting out to Julian's house. And that's pretty much how the ball got rolling. But we it, it's incredible how many programs and services we've increased just in the last year. People are calling us, the CMHA is um, referring people to us, the services is referring people to us, hospice is referring people to us in the hospitals. And it's incredible the support that we're getting from the community and it's incredible how You know something so great is happening in the community because like-minded like-hearted people are getting together and recognizing that we need to talk about grief
0: that's great that and i think you know through COVID, i you know i've said many times on the show through the different seasons we've been doing it but you know i think COVID has very much been a learning process for so many individuals i know you and i have talked offline about Sort of you know finding things that align with you know values that people have and, and getting to positions and careers that you know really make sense for people because there's been that mindset shift. But yeah. when you have somebody like the Gaudettes who have gone through something so traumatic and they're able to give back and in a sense honor Julian, I think, through that capacity and and offer that outreach. I love the fact that you had mentioned that you're working with the hospitals and hospice and CMHA because I think certainly going forward. In the next five to ten years, with the state of not only healthcare, but sort of sort of mental health care that's mm-hmm. happening, I think it's great to see organizations not necessarily work in silos, right? They're very much being aware of what's out there because sometimes it is very difficult, I think, for folks to navigate, especially in an emotional time, to find the proper supports and resources that are out there. But when you know other organizations are propping Julian's house up you're able to have that sort of referral pipeline or, or or to have those those connections to say, hey, there's some really great local resources. They're local folks and they're local people who are making this happen. And that has to be a really like you had said, you're increasing those programs that has to uh, bode well for the organization going forward, because I'd, I'd assume with everything happening in the world today, there will be a constant need for this. There is need for for people to sort of lean on each other. And then folks, because grief is not something that you just put away. Right. This is something that you can it sort of continues with you and you learn to live with it
2: yeah you, you get through your grief journey and you'll never not remember your loved one right so it's it's hanging on to those memories and being able to talk about it in in a way that's positive so we we really truly try to educate people in the community on you know it's okay for someone not to be strong it's okay for them to uh have grief in their journey for a long period of time there is no timeline on these things right and you might think that you know your neighbor is not doing well because she's still grieving you know a year or two years later um, but that's okay and that's normal for a lot of people so it is normalizing grief um, and then just going back to what you were saying about the community i totally agree with you um, Windsor and Essex County in general has the best organizations, best charities, um, we're so community minded. Everybody knows Windsor and Essex County is very community minded and it is great to work together because we're filling gaps where, you know, service agencies aren't able to fill. So a lot of service agencies are government funded and then there's, you know, smaller charities like the Brain Injury Association or Julian's house or Noah's house um, that are doing all of these great things in the community that aren't government funded and you know, people are able to really get the services that they need with these little gap filler agencies, right? So I kind of feel like Julian's House is like that. We're grassroots and we pivot. So if we are seeing a lot of people coming in for sibling loss or parental loss, then we're going to open up more programs for sibling and parental loss. So we're, we're pivoting, you know, as the need comes.
0: And it's it's great that you're able to streamline some of those supports, right? Because it's like, you know, grief is grief. But then if you can really sort of carve off, um, you know, you had mentioned, you know, uh, dealing with parental loss or even spousal loss and then child loss. And those are all there are losses, but I would assume it's sometimes very different, obviously very different in certain capacities. But to have that sort of grassroots feel to the organization, I think that's so brilliant for Julian's House too. not only because dare I say, you're able to, you're able to pivot, like you said, and and sort of react to the need quicker. But I think there's a real need for that. And I, you know, you and I have talked over the years too, about what it means to really truly be local and to have that feel for what Windsor Essex is and the people who make it up and having those services in place and, and, and having that pulse in the community, that all sort of exists in that, um, that web of connection, and I'd assume though, you know, a lot of the folks who come through, a lot of the families that come through Julian's house too, when it comes to that fundraising component, they're they're very happy to, I would think, give back and 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 sort of promote the 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 work that uh, Julian's house does as well.
2: Exactly. So um, we have had huge community support. So we have some cornerstone donors that have actually. Um, raised the roof, so to speak, at Julian's house and have helped um, with our emplo- like uh, employees and funding in our employees. So, right now, any donations so, if you were to donate $10 arms to Julian's house, that is going directly to the cause because my wages, our um, program manager's wages, they're all covered by our cornerstone donors. So, it's really nice to be able to, as a community member, to be able to donate to a a charity like Julian's house and know that your dollars are going to make a huge difference. So uh, for instance, last month we had uh, Positively Art, um, Denise Turner is a wonderful human being and she hosted uh, Positively Art night for our uh, grief guests. So um, we call our people that we serve at Julian's house um, guests of Julian's house. Um, We think it's a nice little name for them. So the guests were invited out to a Positively Art Night and they got to make uh, journals um, and paint them with Denise um, in a nice space. So we're able to do some things like that that are just creative. Um, We're able to do educational, as you mentioned, and restorative, and we have yoga classes and all sorts of things going on at Julian's house, which is just great for people in the community.
0: So thank you so much to Laura Kay for joining us here on the show. Um, it, they're doing some incredible work at Julian's house and what they continue to bring to the table in terms of offering family support with each other through trying times. Uh, Colleen Compo, who I actually met many years ago uh, at CMHA when I did a story on bereaved parents at the CBC, uh, just an amazing woman and somebody who kind of spearheaded this with the Gaudettes. So, Laura, thank you so much for your time. Uh, You can follow them on Facebook and find out a little bit more about their needs and fundraising that continues for Julian's House here in Windsor-Essex County. Hey, just before we wrap up the show. Okay. A couple minutes left to go. I know Carrie's already texted me. She's like, wrap it up. Promised her I wouldn't go like multiple hours, although I could. I have to give a shout out on today's show to a very special lady. uh, My mom, Anita. Not only did my mom celebrate her 61st birthday, had some really great photos from her birthday celebration on my social media feeds if you want to check out that. Uh, My mom kind of stepped in during a very difficult time. Um, One of uh, Carrie's aunts, uh, a beautiful woman, um, had passed suddenly. And uh, and Carrie's mom and sister and stepdad uh, flew out for the services for her um, in B.C., And as you know, if you've been following me, I've got two little ones. I've got Liam, my son, who just turned five, um, and he's just full of energy all the time. And then I've got my little honey bear, my daughter, uh, Olivia, who I love tremendously. She's got me wrapped around her little finger. Uh, Shout out to my wife for being a kick-ass mom on a daily basis. But, uh, you know, Carrie flew out to BC with her to be there for her family. So I was, quote unquote, single dad for about a week. And I will tell you, I am still recovering, even though I had help from my mom. So my mom came over to the house. She uh, was sort of like the live-in grandma. Uh, The kids absolutely adored having her around. It was a godsend. uh, When the kids were in bed, the first night my mom was here and the kids finally went to bed. Liam was tucked in, had a bath. Olivia had her bottle. She was tucked in, sleeping soundly. I said to my mom, Hey, do you want it? Like, I don't get to see my parents as much as I used to. Obviously, you know, I've got my own family, but my mom and I are sitting on the couch and I said, you want to watch a movie? And she goes, yeah. So we put on the Batman with Robert Pattinson. She hadn't seen it. And uh, it was a good night. You know, my mom was like, Oh my God, this is really dark. It's not like Adam West. I'm like, no mom, it's not like Adam West. This is like a crime. Anyway. So we watched that and it was just, it was nice. So we had nice dinners uh, mom was there to kind of support me between, you know, everything that I've got going on with, you know, Humane Society and my my business as well. So uh, it was just really, really good to have support from the family. And uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to my mom. I don't know if she's watching the show. She says she does. I think she just tells me that because she doesn't want to hurt my feelings.
1: <laughs> so
0: if I say if I say to her download the podcast, she'll be like, "What's a podcast? Is that on CD?" she's not that old but Marianne says oh yeah she's a pretty cool lady and the kids uh just loved her Jim says we love Lola uh Joni says lost my mom to ah Joni I knew your mom very nice woman I'm so sorry to hear that 2.5 weeks ago thank you arms very grateful for you always thank you Carrie ah thanks for watching Joni I'm so sorry about your loss so anyways uh yeah wiped exhausted dad here but grateful to celebrate 100 episodes with you. And uh, thank you to everybody joining in. I hope you enjoy the new format of the show. Um, You know, as you've been maybe following along since we decided to do this show back in 2021, we went from doing it every week to just having two people shoot the breeze to, you know, streamlining some of the interviews to this format here, covering some of the news and then having a feature interview every two weeks. Allows me to put a lot of bells and whistles on the show. So I hope you're enjoying the format. I'm enjoying doing it. It gives me some time to really polish the show before we go live and uh, do it on a biweekly basis. So we'll be back on February 21st, which is Shrove Tuesday, kickoff to Mardi Gras. So that'll be interesting. Uh, And we'll have a couple of other things that we'll be talking about, including my feature interview. We're going to be talking to an employment expert about the trend of the great resignation, quiet quitting, and quiet promotions. It's kind of a thing. So we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk more with my guest who is uh, well-versed in the sector of getting hired and possibly trying not to get fired in careers. Um, Jim says, here's to a bunch more shows, brother. Jim, I'm going to tell you right now, people who listen to the show after the fact on the podcast, I will keep doing the show until my wife tells me not to, which I don't know. No, she's actually quite happy that we've gone down to a bi-weekly format. Because it allows me to be with the kids, recharge my batteries a little bit, and then kind of get my quote-unquote poop in a group when it comes to the content and some of the bells and whistles. Marianne says, love it. Well, thank you for tuning in, Marianne. We appreciate it too. Anyways, that's going to wrap as we approach the hour mark here on the show. Don't forget, you can download past episodes of the show. You can find me on anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm on Apple Podcasts. I'm on Spotify. You can find me on Anchor FM. Download those podcasts. Go back through the archives a uh, hundred episodes deep and counting and you can also check out some of the youtube videos we've got find me on youtube at arms Boom and like one to find me on the social media video site folks that's going to do it here on the program thank you so much for watching we'll see you back next week in the meantime happy valentine's day and i'll see you back on the 21st here live on the arms Boom and like project